to date with the never-ending breaking news in the sports world on Greeny, featuring Mike Greenberg. Weekday mornings at 10 on ESPN Las Vegas, KWWN AM Las Vegas. Elbow on the right side, down the right side, puts it up no good, but Ham is there for the slam dunk. The Rebels need to get stops. That all? It's a backdoor up for Davis, blocked by Ham. Oh. And they call a foul? On on who? Nobody touched him. Ham had a block. I thought, I assumed they were calling goaltending, if anything. Back to Jordan. Jordan launches a three. In and out, no good. Weathers with the rebound, and that'll do it. Clock will run out, 83-64 will be a final as the Rebels get worked here in Dallas. 83-64, the final. Runner Rebels drop it and will uh, lick their wounds, head home, see if they figure out what happened in a uncharacteristic performance, especially in the first half tonight. I just crushed my dreams. Boom. Sadness. That's the one. I mean, I think they knew what happened. Yeah, they got beat down quite a bit. Um, before we get to a little bit of UNLV basketball, first off, UNLV transfer Jacoby Winman. He's getting offers from everybody. Texas has apparently offered a scholarship to Jacoby Winman. So he's going to be playing somewhere he's big. Gonna be, he's going to be a Power 5 kid. Yeah, he's got multiple Power 5 offers, too. Um, also, according to The Athletic, Adrian Martinez, Nebraska's quarterback, has entered the transfer portal. Really? Yeah. I believe if the, if I remember the stat correctly, he was on pace, and maybe he didn't actually end up doing it, but he was on pace to have the most turnovers in college football history. Adrian Martinez is like 50. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> has he been around for like six or seven years? He's the kind of guy like, is that guy still the quarterback in yeah. Nebraska? Yeah. And he's... Part, now he's in the portal? He's probably the biggest reason Nebraska. How many COVID years is this kid taking advantage of? <laughs> All of them. My goodness. So, yeah, I don't know if anybody wants Adrian Martinez. Mm. Hold on now. You never I mean, know. I, you never know. I seriously, genuine question. Would he start at UNLV? I believe he would. Is he better than Cameron Is he Freer? better than the Mountain West freshman of the year? <laughs> he's played in a lot of big games. Has you it said won was, any of them? You said he was leading the in the, the college football in turnovers. I th- there was a stat one of their games where he was on pace to break the record for most turnovers in in a college football career. Get him here for spring ball. It's important. Spring ball is important. I mean, he completed sixty one percent of his passes. That's slightly worse than Cameron Friel. He did throw fourteen touchdowns. That's more than the That's six. More than the six than the Cameron Friel threw, uh, but did throw ten picks. So. Listen, I'm I'm sure he's better than Cameron Friel and Doug Brumfield, but I don't think it's by much. No. I don't think it'd be. I think we'd have a quarterback battle. I think <laughs> that's what we'd be talking about. Like, I don't think Adrian Martinez is good at football. So he throw got another, Throw another one into the mix. I think he might have been hurt, but he, got, he didn't play their final game that, of the year. That is how he throws the football. He throws another one <laughs> into the mix. <laughs> so yeah, there's some transfer portal news. Now, on UNLV basketball. What'd you, what was your preseason prediction? Fourth? Yes. For uh, conference finish? Uh. They were picked to finish seventh. Right now by Ken Palm, UNLV is the eighth best team in the Mountain West. Wyoming has surged ahead of them and Fresno State. You have seen eight games of this team play so far this year. Where do you think they end up finishing in the Mountain West? After last night, not fourth. 
Um, I'm gonna. I can't drop him to eighth. I'm trying to think of who. I mean, I do think Wyoming's played better. Here's the thing, though. I don't know how good Wyoming and Colorado State is. We talked about it in the break where Ken Palm's non-con strength of schedule. Colorado State supposedly the best team. Their schedule right now is three eleventh. So I don't know how good they are. Even though they're probably still the best team, um, they play one decent game coming up. I think they're home to St. Mary's. Uh, but let's go sixth. Sixth. Let's go sixth. All right. So you would have them passing Wyoming and Fresno State. Okay. Would that that would get them to six? I mean, they could pass somebody else. Like if Nevada truly sucks, they could pass Nevada. But I don't know who would. I mean, UNLV or Nevada right now? Who would you rather be? Both four and four. Uh, I'd probably rather be Nevada because I think they have the best player of the two teams. Yeah, probably. And they've won three in a row now. Right. They're they're turning it. Granted, it's Pepperdine and George right. Mason. It hasn't been good teams, but like. Yeah, they've gotten blown out by Santa Clara and San Diego. Yeah. And, uh, and San Diego is not good. Fresno yeah. kind of took care of them, I think, last night. Yeah, so South Dakota State blew them out, too. So it's it's interesting in the Mountain West because right now, like, Colorado State and, and San Diego State and Utah State uh, have been off to pretty good starts. I mean, they've put themselves in decent position that if they have a really good Mountain West season, those are, they have a in, shot. Those are in C tournament yeah, level teams, or at least on the bubble. I mean, Wyoming hasn't beaten anybody, but they are six and zero. Fresno State is six and one. They've got one decent win so far on the season. Like, it's interesting where the Mountain West maybe has three teams that have a claim here that mm-hmm. could be an NCAA tournament level team, but it's still not like it's nothing that you look at and say UNLV can't beat most of those teams on any given no, night or finish not. above most of those teams. No, absolutely not. But I also look at it, and I don't really have much confidence that UNLV is turning it around. Because here's here's what I look at going forward. We've talked a lot about their offensive problems. What can change between now and the start of Mountain West play? Right? Like, what's going to suddenly be different about this team in the next three weeks, four weeks before Mountain West play is here? I think they can fix the shot selection. Like that is something selection. One thing making them another, right? That is the thing. They can change a shot selection to where you don't have as many mid range jumpers from Bryce Hamilton. You don't have guys shooting off the dribble contested or whatever. I think that's something that can be fixed. I don't think they can fix the playmaking problem, right? Like we're, we've been talking about it since the off season. Who's the number two option. Who's taken some of this, uh, the load off of Bryce Hamilton's shoulders. They do not have that right now. Like, I talked up Mike Nuga to start the year. Still been talking about him in the season. He's their best bet to get we said layups, last week he's the second option. But he missed all of his layups in the game against SMU. Like, that's not good enough. Like, SMU's not Michigan. That's not, you know, UCLA, a team where you can say, yeah, they're really good. That's fine if you miss your layups against them or you get them blocked. SMU's nothing special defensively. Like, to not be able to finish against SMU, that's a big problem. Like, we're we're at a point where expecting Mike Nuga to become that second option, I think is foolish. And you start trying to find it. Is it Jordan McCabe? He doesn't really get to the rim. He doesn't really finish a whole lot. Like Keyshawn Gilbert's shown a couple of fun plays where maybe, but he's probably not going to be consistent enough to do it. Like that to me is the biggest issue. Like when we're trying to figure out what's going to change between now and mountain West play, I don't know that they find that second offensive playmaker. I think you can drill into them in practice, the shot selection. You, I mean, and I'm talking like for two hours, you drill into them <laughs> shot selection. Uh, and I also think when they see Bryce Hamilton get benched, I would hope, I don't know, I don't know, I'm not in their heads, 
if I'm another player on the team and Bryce Hamilton gets benched, they can do it him. They can do it to anybody. And it changes, obviously, when you're in a real game defensively in terms of what you're facing defensively. But, again, yes, they can change shot selection. It doesn't going to make any of those guys better shooters. Yeah. yeah. Like, I, I think you can have better guys shoot the ball more. So, if you're sure. looking at, like, That's Justin Webster, conceivably, yes. even though he got off to a bad start, he's still... He came in as a good shooter. That's supposed to be what he is. He made four last night. Like, I, and I actually think Justin Webster, he probably earned a lot more playing time. Like Justin Webster oh, I would was think sort of in San Francisco. We're going to see him play more. Minutes. Yeah. He was sort of on the fringe of the rotation, but to have somebody actually hit threes in a game, I think you've got to play Justin Webster more minutes, even if it means you're giving up something defensively or right. whatever they think they get out of a Donovan Williams or a Mike Nuga. I think Justin Webster's going to get more playing time. The other thing that I do think, can make a difference is Victor Ewalker if he ever plays. If he ever, if he's ever right. in the game, he practiced. If he ever gets healthy, right? He practiced this week. He's supposedly close. I think you're going to see him play at some point in the near future. I just don't know when, but that will change a little bit because it'll give them another big guy, right? It won't just be Royce Ham, who, by the way, gets in a lot of foul trouble in seemingly every game. You'll have Victor Ewalker because David Milwaukee has been unplayable. They even played Reese Brown last night because of how bad Milwaukee was, and honestly, Royce Ham. Like when Victor Ewalker's healthy, they have a legitimate second big man to go to. So that'll help. But I, I f- do feel like all of that isn't significant enough help to really change the course of the season that they're still going to end up. Maybe they get to six, but between sixth and eighth in the mountain West, like you that's still what, think that that's what this team feels like to me. They're not good enough. Offensively. They're just going to be bad on that end of the floor and defensively unless. Uh, like, I think they're going to end up being the fourth or fifth best defensive team in the Mountain West, right? A good defensive team, but by no means anything special, right? And if you're the fourth or fifth defense, best defensive team and the eighth or ninth best offensive team, it's like a sixth or seventh place finish at the end of the day. Yeah. So I think that's where UNLV ends up this year, unless something drastic changes. And I just have a hard time trying to find what drastic happens. I want to go back to something you said off the top if people missed it to open the show in terms of his recruiting pitch to a lot of these guys and we both think that a lot of it had to do with offense because kids want to play offense and they want to score if that changes and all of a sudden he's saying hey we need you not to shoot as much um, we need to take better shots your, your, your role now is this I mean are you in the danger of losing kids if I came here because I sat on the bench in Texas all those years and I didn't get a shoot or I didn't get a score. And that's one of the reasons you said I was coming here. And all of a sudden it's like, well, we've seen what you can do now. So we're going to make you this. I mean, how, you know, you, I'm not totally losing them, but you know, Hey, this is what you said I was going to be. I would like to think the players are smart enough to look at the results and say, Oh, we do suck. <laughs> like, really? I would like I to think they're that confident. Game, yeah, I know. I know they are, but I would like to think that game against SMU is you know, enough of a wake-up call that you look around and say, all right, you guys came here, we gave you freedom, you guys thought, hey, we can contend in the Mountain West and contend for an NCAA tournament spot. That's not happening, guys. So we're changing a lot, and that includes what shots you are allowed to take. I'd like to think they're smart enough to have that self-realization, self-awareness that, yeah, okay, maybe I shouldn't take the -the off-the-dribble 15-foot jumper that nobody can make and is a horrible shot even if you do make it. I'd like to think they have that awareness. Sure, I'm sure there's going to be a player or two that's like, well, this isn't what I signed up for. Right. Hell, there right. probably already is, to be honest with you. I mean, he brought oh, in sure. a bunch of transfers. Yeah. Like, Justin Webster's probably one of right. them. He probably came in thinking, yeah, I'm going to play some more there. I'm going to shoot eight, nine threes a game. Right, of course. And he's 
barely played this year. So I'm, I'm sure there's plenty of guys that are like, yeah, I, sh- I was going to play a lot more than I already am. Right. And not, so I think they'll be fine in that regard, at least in the near future. I mean, if they, you know, they lose a game to like Seattle or Hartford or Omaha, and maybe things could get bad if they have a bad end of the non-conference here. But I think they'll be fine from that regard. I think it's a team that Kevin Kruger can, can tell them, Hey, that's a bad shot. They can put on the film from last night right? and go through each one. Right. And just be like, you want to feel like that again? Right. No. Then listen to what we say when we tell you what shots you can and cannot take. But again, what was the recruiting pitch and, and what did Kevin Kruger kind of promise or allude to these guys getting to do and what they're having to change eight games in? That's not a good sign long-term for Kevin Kruger roster building and all that. Coming up next, Sam and Ash join the show. Did you know that I actually have a civil case against that that stole my husband? Don't sue a stripper. Why not? She's a stripper. Life sued her and she lost. Call Sam and Ash at 702-820-1234 or visit their website, samandashlaw.com. Sam and Ash, because you deserve what's right. Guys, Ed's actually here. Hey, what's going on? What? What's happening? What's happening? Oh, my god! How you guys How doing? How are you, Ed? I'm fine. Uh, tested yesterday. Negative as usual. Come on. <laughs> got, got the weekly test. You find So it. much failure. Well, I feel like I need a video stream of this. Is this like China situation where you're just putting Ed on air and we, we think he's here, but he might not really be here? <laughs> might not be. It might be. Uh, We're not sure. Jared might have told me what I can say and what I can't say. Uh, I'm... Uh, I did. I did. It is weird, though. Yesterday, when you get tested out there, you get tested and you sit there very nervously. I was telling Tyler, and when any PR person walks in the room, you're like, "What happened?" Uh, but within an hour, you get the uh, you get the email from the uh, from the lab, and once the email pops up, you're like, "Okay, we're all good. Good to go. Good all to right. go." So, I want to start with a story that's been in the news for a week or so here in Las Vegas. A UNLV student died after a fraternity boxing match that they were. Uh, using to uh, promote a charity. Uh, there was a boxing match between students and the fraternity, and one of them died. There have been, there are not going to be any charges filed. And the police said that while, yes, this was ruled a homicide, there was no, you know, criminal activity or criminal uh, that, that led to the death of this student. So I'm curious, just first off, on that standpoint, you your thoughts on it not having any charges attached to this death? Well, my, my immediate thoughts are the, the, investigation clearly is showing that there's been a lot of mistakes that were made by these college students putting on the the event and but there was no real it never rose to a level of criminal negligence or reckless endangerment of these students that were in the fight or in the ring and so that's why they're it's a subjective standard so you know these officers with the evidence and the investigation they've conducted they've just said look it doesn't rise to that level so we're not pressing charges it's Sad enough. Okay, let me ask you because the first thing once they said no charges, I think the next thing people go to mind is civil action. Who all in your mind would be involved here? Uh, the fraternity is obviously a national fraternity, um, a pretty big one, I believe. Um, UNLV, I don't think had direct, you know, uh, direct um, things to do with this. But who who all would be involved here if you bring civil action? Like who could you include in this? Everyone. Okay. Yeah. I mean, literally okay. everyone. Yeah, okay. you have you have to go you have to go after every party here who played a role in this in this event and should have really, frankly, not prevented the event from happening, and at the very least have 
um, have put in appropriate safeguards. So, so I, again, I think it's, it's going to be the school. It's going to be the, the fraternity itself. It's going to be the individual actors that, um, that, that, that were involved in setting up the event, um, the, the other, the opponent in the fight even. Um, just because criminal charges weren't filed against him doesn't mean that he cannot be held liable civilly. So all of that occurs. And, and it's, you know, and in these cases, it's really important to not leave any of these parties on the table. It's not even just because of a money grab. It's because you want everyone looped in and everyone brought to the table at the same time so that they can't, any finger pointing that happens where, you know, one side goes, well, it's not really my fault. It's, it's their fault. It's this other party's fault. You hash all that out in one setting and keep everyone's feet to the fire uh, to make sure that you get justice for your client. Salmon Ash with us, uh, SalmonAshLaw.com. I am curious, because last night UNLV uh, suspended the uh, fraternity Kappa Sigma. Is that a level of them finger-pointing already? Well, I, that's the university doing what they do, and they do this with fraternities all the time when you have when they have parties and a, a student that's rushing or pledging or whatever the term is gets sick or goes to the hospital. Then the investigation becomes the university puts the fraternity or sorority on this, you know, this suspension because they don't want them to create any more sanctioned events and put anyone else in potential danger, especially while all of this investigation is still going on. So, I, of course, the the university right now wants to, you know, they want to put the, the fraternity in check a little, and this is their, their way of doing it. How damaging does it become if, in fact, as it's been reported, they've done this before and there were injuries? Obviously not, you know, thank goodness not, not to the tragedy of, the, of this, this young man, but in the past, this is not a new thing, and there's actually kids who might come forward and say, hey, look, I was hurt in this. Right. If this wasn't the first annual charity boxing match, and the and even, like, the university knew that the prior year's events had injuries for students, that would be problematic because now the university is aware of this fraternity, is putting on an event. They're aware the event has caused injuries to students. They're aware that steps probably could have been taken to avoid those injuries, and then they're still letting it go on without intervening or making sure the event is safer every year that's a problem that's it's you're not an active party in the in the um in the case but you're you're what's considered someone you had a duty to intervene and you failed to do that so yeah it would be a problematic if this had prior incidences of injuries uh how does i guess personal responsibility pop up into this because it's not like the there was anybody held against their will or forced to do this it was a willing participant so how does personal responsibility end up playing into this well well you can be a willing participant in a in a, in a boxing match here which the kid clearly was and and yet you you also look you're, you're a college student you know you don't understand all the intricacies of this you also i i frankly i, I remember being in college and thinking that I was indestructible, uh, and, and you don't so, still think you know, that? No, I don't. No, because you hit your forties, and all of a sudden you're you're like, no, I mean, <laughs> I can my, break. Yeah, I, I I broke, you know. Um, so and everybody's everybody goes through that. So the, it's it's the adults in the room, right? It is the school, the administration, 
on-campus people who are there who should have provided a medic who should have had if you're going to do something you know ensured the safety of the event uh, you know you you can you can be a, a willing participant in someone by the way and what you brought up is going to be what the defense is going to say it says hey this guy you know he went into this fight you know this was you know this was voluntary willing mutual contest they're going to use all those words but i still think that there is accountability based on what i'm seeing as i think there's huge accountability on the part of the school and the organizers absolutely you assume certain risks when you do when you participate in events like this but you don't assume risks of gross negligence like sam mentioned maybe not having an emt on premises or having a legitimate referee watching the fight those are risks that you might not assume and that's not fair to hold against someone it's salmonash salmonashlaw.com because you deserve what's right. Uh, real quick on the other one we were going to ask you about. WTA has pulled its events out of China over the disappearance and censoring of Peng Shui, a uh, top-ranked tennis player that accused a former VP of sexual assault. Uh, I know you guys know the story here. She disappeared. She was seen in one picture at a youth camp. Uh, the WTA still believes, though, she's being censored and not knowing where she is, so they're going to pull out. Is this something the United Nations would ever be on? Who, who can intervene here? Or does China say, don't worry about it, she's safe, and that's all we're saying? Um, okay, so obviously China, is, this is this is just the tip of the iceberg, right? You've got, and I'm, I'm thankful that one sporting organization is actually standing up to the CHICOMs. Uh, but, but look, I mean, there, this, is, this, is really, this is really frightening. And the, the truth is that, that the UN... You know, big corporations, tennis, you know, but well, not tennis, but, you know, the NBA and all sorts of sports right. organizations, they all kowtow to China. They all bow down to them because of the enormous amount of money mm -hmm. at stake. So the fact of the matter is that China plays by different rules than we do. Um, they literally have concentration camps. This is not just about this one gal. It's, I mean, they literally are putting Muslims in concentration camps, and, and it's happening in 2021, going into 2022. And, and, and all these, you know, people who want to talk about, you know, all the important social issues of our time, ignore it for the almighty dollar. And, and so I'm glad somebody's taking a stance. Do you think the WTA pulling out changes anything in this situation for, for Peng Shui? Or do you think China just says, yeah, whatever, pull your events out, we'll be fine? I, that's going to be China's stance, but I, what it does is it puts peer pressure on the other organizations. Like the uh, IOC is now going to be under more spec more scrutiny to, you know, they're hosting, Beijing's hosting the Winter Olympics here. And so the IOC is going to be under scrutiny. That's going to put pressure on the NHL, other women's professional leagues. If the WNBA is trying to go into China to, to capitalize on that market, now it's a big pressure. So, yeah, I think it's it's going to force the hand of other companies i study this a lot the chinese are going to be and by the chinese i mean the government of china is going to be very pissed about this right they're big on respect so the answer is will it change anything they're going to throw a fit what will matter are the next steps right if if then the wta we you know in, in two days we hear that they've suddenly apologized <laughs> Um, and, and, and like like Jamie Dimon did at, at, at Chase Bank, right? Made a joke and then apologized for it uh, because they they called him onto the carpet. Um, you know, the, 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 this kind of thing will. It, I just it, what what matters to me is I think how this plays out in the next couple of weeks. We need more Ennis Cantor freedoms in the world.
Oh, That's what oh, we need. Oh, and a scanter freedom. Yeah, China, yeah. China has banned yeah. his name yeah. from social media, and they've <laughs> banned airing Cel- Boston Celtics games yeah. because his stance against social injustice and human rights violations. Good so, on him. Yeah. He's a hero. I have a I have a question for you too. If you were going to change your name legally and add something like Ron Artest did to Meta World Peace or Enos Cantor did to Enos Cantor Freedom, what random word would you add to your name? Oh gosh, Sam, you go first. <laughs> sushi. I don't know. Sushi. Um, Sammy uh, sushi. Sammy sushi. I, Ash. I, I go go with my favorite food. I don't know. Um wow, that's a good one. Ash. I go on. with Hollywood. Oh, because I, I was Rocky. my that was my basketball. No, Rocky's name's taken. But Hollywood was one of my basketball nicknames, and I think it just works. Ah, Ashley Hollywood. Wood. Wow. I like that. We just combined uh, it. Ashley Hollywood Watkins. Wow. It works. Hollywood. Look wow. at it. It flows. Yeah. Unlike Sammy Sushi Murjofsky. <laughs> hey, I like it. That is a mouthful. <laughs> that's, a, that's a big one to say. Of delicious fish. <laughs> well, it is Sam in Hollywood, <laughs> Sam and Ash, <laughs> Law.com. As always, we appreciate it, guys. Thanks, you guys. Oh, I, love I love you guys. guys. Great Thanks to talk guys. to you. Hollywood. That was her nickname. Uh, better shot selection than someone locally. <laughs> All right. Coming up next, J.R. Starkus joins the show. Ready for the weekend? It's like I picked the wrong week to quit drinking. Let's find out what's on tap with J.R. Starkus. Champagne. Perfume going in. Sewage coming out. At J.R. Starkus on Twitter, here he is. Key account executive, Southern Glaciers Wine Spirits, Nevada. Uh, real quick, before we get to the drink. Because uh, I've been in youth sports and club sports, and I know what happens behind the scenes. Uh, <laughs> if the weirdness going? happened with your kid, what if he was ever locked out? Like, what would you do with the scaffolding and stuff? If you wouldn't be able to go to games, you'd, like, lose your mind. Yeah, no, I would lose my mind. They, they almost tried that last year, you know. Um, but well, it's, thanks, oh, yeah, thanks. Okay, hold on okay. here, partner. Thanks, thanks, okay. thanks to my scaffolding. Um, <laughs> thanks to my scaffolding and my you know, $150 investment that I never got to use. Um, it saved the season for uh, young athletes around the, the Las Vegas Valley. Well, have you not I found will, another I, use for that scaffolding? No, I have. I have. You found it. But I mean, like, I didn't get to use it during the baseball season. Uh, I have considered bringing it out to the game, just using it out of like, just to use it and like maybe stand on it and pace back and forth like I typically do at a game. Um, but yeah, you know, I, I, I found... Um, so I used it to hang some stuff and um, to get up on like basically a short ladder <laughs> at one point. Um, so that's that's the only reason I've I've really used it so far. But I'm sure I'll find other uses for it. Have you ever done anything as petty as Major League Baseball taking the headshots down of all their players right after the lockout starts? Uh, probably, but I can't think of anything off the top of my head. I mean, I, you know, I like, uh, you know, sometimes you get frustrated with something, but that, that's pretty lame, right? I mean, it's not like you're like, oh, there's there's no players now. Okay, there's no players. Got it. So we're baseball's over. Uh, I should tell my son and every other young baseball player to just start looking someplace else. <laughs> uh, baseball's not going to happen for you. It has nothing to do with your skill set. It's just because the sport's over. <laughs> there uh, was a report from Houston yesterday that. The teams that have contacted Carlos Correa's agent, one of them was the Red Sox. As a Red Sox fan, you want Carlos Correa? Well, I mean, okay, so what do we do with Xander Bogarts? What do you, I mean, what do you move, like, Bogarts to second base or something? Or do you play Correa at second base? You're, you know, you're, I don't know what you do. Sure, I mean, sure, you'd love another big name and another big bat in the middle of your lineup. Um obviously helps your team win. I mean, whether it's pre-cheating or not, you know, he helps your team win. Um, 
I, I don't I, – I would love it, I guess, but I just don't know where you put them. Um, I, what the Red Sox are notorious for is, you know, they will take Correa and they'll give up Bogarts and somebody else, and then, you know, and, and we'll get one guy back, and just like they did to the, I, I, just like they did to the, Red, uh, to the Dodgers. Um, you know, it, that's the part that drives me crazy. Like, if you're going to collect, then collect, because the money's there, and they know it is. Um, and, and with no salary cap and whatnot, but if if they're going to just take that guy to trade it for another guy who's been there, like I don't like that at all. Didn't drive me crazy. Thought it was great. <laughs> yeah, I know. I know you thought it was great, and you continue to think it's great. And I don't Absolutely. blame you for that. It was great. Absolutely, hell of a player. Yeah, it's National <laughs> Bartender Day. The the third, yeah, d- uh, December third is National Bartender Day. So tomorrow, and uh, you know, so I wanted to make a drink today that. Uh, kind of, you know, utilized uh, something I haven't used yet, which is Pisco, which is Peruvian or Chilean brandy, a white or a clear brandy. Um, and I wanted to use it because this is a this is a cocktail. It's, I, I mean, maybe a little bit on the um, on the geekier side. Not every uh, bartender will have Pisco, but a lot of cocktail bars will have it. But it's something that if you get a bottle of Pisco for your house, um, this is the classic Peruvian way of making the drink. Um, and, or the, it's a classic cocktail in Peru and Chile, uh, but a bartender at a classic cocktail bar would know how to make this, but you can make it for yourself at home too because it uses very simple ingredients. Um, other than the bottle of Pisco, which there are many different brands out of the market, and um, you know, like many of the cocktails that I make, uh, you, you, know, you, you can kind of choose whatever suits you, whatever floats your boat. Um, because there isn't necessarily a style. There are several different styles of, brand, of, of Pisco that you could use, but the, you can use any style for the drink. Um, so I'm using probably one of the most popular brands out there is it's called Barsol, B-A-R-S-O-L, one word, Barsol Pisco. And they have a lot of different varietals and skews within their portfolio, but I used uh, Mosto Verde Italia. And what that means is Mosto Verde means it's using partially fermented grape must because one of the rules of making pisco uh, is that you're using, you have to use wine. You're not just using must like you would be if you're making uh, grappa or mark. Um, so, and Italia is in reference to the grape that it's using. And there are, you know, eight different grapes that most pisco makers will use. Um, and you'll see it usually just labeled on the bottle. Uh, the rest of the ingredients is fresh lime juice, simple syrup, egg white and bitters um, but basically it's a take on a whiskey sour um, but with the peruvian brandy as the base if you go to peru or chile it, you'll find it everywhere it is readily abundant they're very proud of it and every bartender there has their own kind of way of making it their own flair of making it um, their own maybe little twist to the classic recipe most of the time people would tell you it's two ounces of pisco one ounce of lime juice, half an ounce of simple syrup, and an egg white. Um, I basically do the same thing, except I use three-quarter ounces of lime juice and three-quarter ounces of simple syrup for the American palate. Um, The first recipe that I gave might be, for a lot of people, a little too sour. Um, And then, naturally, when you add egg white to any beverage, it does dry the drink out. So the combination of extra lime juice and egg white will turn, for a lot of palates, to be too dry. So the way that I make the drink is in a mixing tin, you add two ounces of your Pisco. Like I said, I use Barsol Pisco, three-quarter ounces of fresh lime juice, 
three quarter ounces of simple syrup, one egg white. Now, if you don't want to use literally an egg white that you cracked from a fresh egg, um, you can use half to three quarters of an ounce of, you know, like a pasteurized egg white that you would make your egg white omelet with in the morning from the grocery store. That will also work. Combine all the ingredients with ice and shake them together. Now, if you're not, if you if you've made drinks that I've made before and you're say you're not a very good shaker and you, you would need to dry shake this drink. What dry shake means is that when all the ingredients are added, before you add ice to shake, you need to shake the drink once called dry. Um, the reason they do that is it helps to emulsify the egg white. It helps to create the fluffiness that you get in the final recipe. However, if you use fresh egg white or pasteurized egg white and you shake the drink hard and well when you tune into the JR Makes Drinks Instagram later when I post my video, you'll oh, see what I mean. Shameless plug. Shameless plug. Sure. You'll see what I mean. Um, you, 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 then you don't have to do the additional step, right? So you can add all the ice together, shake it. You're going to strain it into a cocktail glass. Um, you can put it over ice if you want as well. And then traditionally the garnish is basically three dashes or three dots of bitters, aromatic bitters right on top. Um, and, and that as you sip the drink, it adds kind of a lot of bitters in a cocktail for bartenders. It's like salt and pepper to us. So, you know, adding a few dashes of bitters uh, really helps to bring out a lot of unique flavors and kind of um, helps to blend the drink together in a way that makes it very cohesive uh, for your palate. So it's a wonderful, wonderful cocktail. Uh, it's something that you should definitely try if you have a, a favorite cocktail bar here in town. You should definitely go there and ask your bartender to make you a Pisco Sour. Uh, he or she will be very impressed. Um, that you ordered it, and they'd be happy to make it for you. Um, you know, because it's not a drink that gets a lot of love here in the states, but it, it is—it's delicious. It is—it is wonderful. And um, and then, of course, after you make, you have your bartender make you a pisco sour. Make sure you tip them appropriately and tip them well for National Bartender Day. Uh, how many drinks are there? How many times were you impressed as a bartender by what somebody ordered? <laughs> I, I don't know if impressed is the right word. Um, uh, sometimes like uh, taken aback maybe or um, uh, confused might be good because uh, <laughs> there was a, you know there's a lot of a lot of people in our industry especially when I was behind the bar they one of the bar, bartenders will always tell you and if there's bartenders listening now they'll they'll know exactly what I'm talking about um, guests like to play a game of stump the bartender and so they will ask you for drinks that they had on vacation at their friend's house in, you know, Puerto Vallarta uh, 13 years ago from a bartender named Juan that made it one time for them. They're like, do you know what's in this? You're like, I have no idea. I've never heard that uh, in my life. But if you can tell me what's in it, I'll make it for you. And they're like, I don't know. I thought you would know. You're the bartender. They're like, okay. And then you're like, okay, well, what color is it? You know, and then you could use that's That's the next step. What color? Oh, it's blue. Gotcha. I'll make you something blue because that's really what you want. You want a blue drink. You don't care what's in it. You just want it to be blue. Um, <laughs> uh, but and then there's been my fair share of like really just oddball drinks, you know, like red wine and Coke together. Oh, or, oh. Who orders uh, that? It's actually I, I forget the name of it. It's a longer name, but it's actually a, 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 a real drink. Um, it's like Coquicho or something like that. Oh. I, forget, I forget the name of it. It's a, it's a weird thing, but it's it's red wine and Coke, or I've made uh, really expensive scotch like Johnny Walker Blue and Cream, um, which is an interesting one. Um, you know, but I guess that guy had an ulcer and he still wanted to drink great scotch, so he drank Johnny Walker Blue and Cream. 
Um, so yeah, any, any, I've, I've, I mean, there's been so many over the years of just weird things that I've made, um, that I, it, it's, it's hard to, it's hard to even think about them sometimes, but those are the drinks that I get that I'm more of a taken aback by. Uh, all right. Important question for you. You said this drink is, uh, from Peru and Chile. Could you pick Peru out on a map? Uh, yes. Oh, oh. Map aficionado, J.R. Starkus? No, no. Um, it's just because it is a place that um, it's it's a place that you you know I've I've always wanted to visit, um, and I think probably because of the history of some sort of alcohol would allow me to. I could probably point out Peru before I could point out like Rhode Island, you know. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so uh, you know, I, I bet you I could point out more like. Uh, overseas countries because of the history they have the booth and I could American states, which is sad. All right. Poor Rhode Island never did anything for the alcohol <laughs> world. <laughs> He's J.R. Starkus. J.R. makes drinks on Instagram if you want to see how to make that or any of the drinks that he has uh, had for us. J.R., as always, we appreciate it. Thank you, buddy. You got it, guys. Talk to you next week. Rhode could, Island. Could you pick out Peru on a map? Ooh, be tough. I could pick out Rhode Island. <laughs> yeah, I could, I could do Rhode Island, too. I think I could only get three South American countries, Brazil, Argentina, and Chile. I was about to say, will you spot me Brazil? And I, <laughs> and I think Uruguay is the small one just east of Argentina. I think I could get those four, maybe. But, like, I don't know where Paraguay is. I don't know which one's Peru. Yeah. I don't know which one's Colombia. Uh, Ecuador, I think, is in South America. I don't know which ones are which. And I'm missing one. There's one more that plays soccer. Venezuela. <laughs> I don't know where any of those what are. What you base all your maps yes, uh, is soccer. on. Yes, absolutely. It's soccer. I know which ones are which. The only ones I know are because of soccer. All right, here we go. We've got Golden Knights tickets to give away two to watch them take on the Dallas Stars on Wednesday, December 8th. We'll take caller number 11 at 702-364-1100. That's 702 702- Three six four eleven hundred. If you want to go watch the Golden Knights and Dallas Stars next Wednesday, 702-364-1100. Giannis down the lane, attacks, scoops it, up and in! It's the go-ahead bucket with two seconds to play. Here come the Hornets, a half-court heave at the horn! In and out! What a ball game! The Bucks will survive it! You're locked in the press box. Congratulations to Gary. He won a pair of tickets to go watch the Golden Knights take on the Stars. Tonight, if you're looking for a place to go watch Thursday Night Football, Silver 7's Hotel and Casino is where Cofield and company will be. So head on down to Silver 7's for some football tonight with Cofield and company. What you got for us, Jared? Okay, so last night, and I talked to you a little bit off the air about this, but last night during the Golden Knights game, an Anaheim player had the puck wound up like he was going to do a like, like a big whack, and the stick just big whack. <laughs> Come to the press box for your whacking that thing around. Official hockey turn. That is me whacking that thing around. So anyway, the stick breaks in half, and he does it like he he like looks down, looks up, looks at his stick, and then just proceeds to try to soccer the puck towards the goal with his foot and immediately loses it. Is there any other sport in the world where, okay, it's still in play. Yeah, you lost a piece of equipment because I'm pretty sure we've had to stop. Uh, we've had to stop football games like that guy doesn't have a helmet. 
Yeah, the guy for Florida over the weekend got penalized for still running with his helmet off. Like lost his in helmet. college, yeah, and kept going and got. He Where do got they have penalized. a new coach? <laughs> <laughs> you can't even tell those guys to put their helmets on. Uh yeah. Where else do you lose? I mean, in basketball, if you lose a shoe, they're not going to stop it. Oh, if you need to tie your shoe, typically they don't. They yeah. won't stop it because who? Oh no, yeah. If you lose your shoe, I can't remember who it was. It may have been Boogie Cousins, who had famously, if he saw your shoe, would throw it yeah. <laughs> yeah. off the court. Yes. So you're like. Yeah. Okay. Well, now I'm done. I, I can't even go get so, my shoe. This guy's stick broke as he brought it back. Yeah. Not as he took the swing. No, he brought it back. So it snapped in half. It, like there was a genuine moment of like cartoonish look down, look up, look, look and stick. All right. I'm going to dribble it in with my feet. All right. So my favorite thing to do is to come on here and question other people's professions uh, that I know nothing about and tell them they're idiots. Yeah. Like long snapper. Yeah. Um, why aren't hockey sticks made better? It's <laughs> a great question. Like, I feel like enough break per game that we'd be yeah. like, yeah, this is a problem, guys. Like, the baseball bats don't even break as much yeah. as hockey sticks break. Like, why? I feel like they should be made better. Like, we shouldn't, this shouldn't be a problem where the hockey sticks are breaking this much. Seems kind of ridiculous. Are, like many gloves and bats, are hockey sticks all, especially at the NHL level, all made by the same? Is there a sponsorship to where one company makes the hockey no, sticks? No, guys have different different yeah. ones. Different companies make them. Different yeah. companies. Like for, for them, guys, like, you know, Mark Stone gets his own sticks. Yeah. and Max and Pacioretty gets yeah, his own sticks. Yeah, different company might make Mark Stone's versus Max Pacioretty's okay. versus Jonathan March. Okay. March so. so, but like, I feel like we should be better at this. I feel like it's, it's a very... Uh, it's a very important thing to have on the ice with you to play this True. sport. To play the sport uh, is to have your hockey stick, and too many of them break to where a in this case, like last night, you're taking away a shot, a chance to score. But probably the worst part is when it happens to you defensively, and you're and just you're just rolling around. Yeah, and now you're that's because, when you start diving to block right, shots because a player without a stick is technically more valuable than leaving the zone to go yes. get a stick yes. and come. You might give up a goal yes. while you're gone, but then you're just sort of hilariously out there, just no stick, just trying to block things and kick it to your teammate and hope they get it out of the zone. Like I just. I feel like it's important enough that, that this should be, they should be better made. Have we missed the boat here and realized that Leonard doesn't have a stick le- lately? <laughs> he yeah. always loses his stick. Just have the gloves? He? he just has the glove? Oh, no. That he, was, he, he, he lost his skate blade like seven well, times in that Vancouver series two years ago. That and it, it obviously hits his body more than the stick because the rebounds are often. He gives up a lot of rebounds. Yeah. I mean, he's. A, the big, big man, big body goal. You're going to give up rebounds. It's going to happen. You got to. You give up a lot of shots too. I mean, they've gotten better at it, but the Golden Knights still give up a yeah. ton of shots. Like it seems kind of ridiculous sometimes. They're still like, yeah, let's go score. But let's. What's the deal here? Get rid of long snappers and make hockey sticks better. Why can't we do this in sports? Velcro. <laughs> <laughs>